Welcome to the Message Podcast from Church of the Nazarene. We invite you to subscribe for updates and new episodes. You can find us on most major podcast outlets. Visit cotnaz.org for more info. Our worship services stream weekly on Sundays at 9 a.m. on YouTube. You can also find our live stream at cotnaz.org. Our in-person service times are 9 and 10.30 a.m. We have a campus near Harrisonburg at 1871 Boyers Road. We also have a campus in East Rockingham at 414 South East Side Highway in Elkton. In addition, our Spanish-speaking campus meets on Sundays at 11.45 a.m. at that same 1871 Boyers Road location. Check out our website, cotnas.org, for more info. So um, there used to be this thing, and it still exists. Maybe some of you still read it. It's called the newspaper. And uh, there's comics in there, right? Um, That's what some of you read it for. Uh, There was one called Calvin and Hobbes. And so Bill Watterson, he took the collection, he put them in a book, and it's called The Essential Calvin and Hobbes. But in there he references uh, one of the uh, the storylines. And the cartoon character Calvin says to his friend, his tiger friend, Hobbes, he says, I feel bad that I called Susie names and I hurt her feelings. I'm sorry I did it. Well, maybe you should apologize to her, Hobbes suggests. Calvin ponders this for a moment and replies, I keep hoping there's a less obvious solution. Uh, Some of you uh, will feel that way uh, about today's message, but uh, here we are. Uh, My name's Billy. Um, Privileged and grateful to be bringing the word to you this morning, uh, coming from our Harrisonburg family. And uh, here we are in our final week of our series, Relationship Keys. And I know you guys have been journeying deep through this over the last few weeks. And uh, we've talked about, you know, the purpose of this series is so that we would have greater understanding, greater tools to grow and deepen in God-honoring relationships of all kinds, whether that's friendships, workplace relationships, in our marriages, etc. all kinds of relationships, that these keys would be present in our lives as we follow Jesus, as we look to seek after God's will. And so today we're diving deep into our final and I would say most vital key, our most vital relationship key in our series, and that is forgiveness. Forgiveness. And so the next slide here, this is the basic working definition that we're working with today. Forgiveness is this, it's to let go or the act of pardoning an offender. Most often the Greek word used for forgiveness in the New Testament comes up, is this idea of to let go of, to let go And so that's our our definition as we move uh, into our message on forgiveness today. And part of forgiveness, um, there's often a part of it that is is called repentance. It's it's someone saying they're sorry for something that happened. And I have to give this example to kind of set the stage because you might find yourself in one of these examples. Um, In the difference between my two oldest children, and I think they're um, back there now, but uh, Ella, she's six and a half, Halden, he's three and a half. And they're different in the way that they say they're sorry um, now, my ch- first child, she's a firstborn child. Some of you know what that's like so, um, and know exactly what I'm talking about. But she has this sensitivity about her and um, that she is, is uh, more persuaded. She, she'll come and say she's sorry a lot quicker uh, than the second one. And I'm not sure if that's just to protect herself or if she's actually genuine. We ha- you know, most of the time it's genuine. But my second, Halden, he's a little bit different. And if you have kids or multiple kids, you know what I'm talking about. Kids are just different. And he, um, he's, uh, he's a little bit different when he says he's sorry. And, and I alluded to this. It's, uh, have you ever seen The Grinch? 
And, and then in the Grinch, the Grinch cannot even stand to say the word Christmas. It comes out like, you know what I'm talking about? It's, like, it's just that he can't say it. And that's, that's my son when he's trying to say he's sorry. Uh, it comes out with, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm going to jump on the couch. And it's, it's, I mean, he literally, like, he can't, it's just like gritting his teeth to say he's sorry. And so um, there's, there's a difference there. And sorry, saying we're sorry is like repenting, right? We're sorry for our sins. And that's so, uh, but both of them, both of them are very good at forgiving, however, because uh, I know this because I ask them to forgive me frequently. Uh, so no perfect dad up here. Uh, however, you may find yourselves with that kind of attitude today. But also as we begin to talk about forgiveness, I want to acknowledge from the start I want to acknowledge that there may be some here today who are listening uh, or may listen later um, that have experienced extremely painful situations. And some atrocities of sin are difficult to describe or even think about, let alone choosing to forgive someone who's done them. Maybe it's the pain of, of a broken home or marriage, divorce. Maybe it's abuse that you've suffered physically or emotionally or spiritually. Maybe it's a traumatic betrayal or rejection. You have a mother or a father wound. And so I want, to, I want to recognize that today and also say no matter what your experience or story is, I believe that God wants to speak to you today through his word. Now, I can't imagine, I can't pretend to imagine what some of you have been through, the injustice, the injury that you've suffered, but I know of the one who knows every detail. He weeps with you. He's been with you. And he loves you too much to leave you there today. He has life more abundant for you and for I and himself. And so I believe that this message today on forgiveness is for all of us. Would you pray with me? Jesus, we thank you for your word. And uh, we thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit, who you sent to be our comforter, who you sent to correct us and guide us and lead us in your word, who you sent to empower us, that we might live the way you've called us to live and so today, God, would you give us ears to hear and hearts that are open to respond to your word in Jesus' name, amen, amen. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 18, Matthew 18 and verse 21, and I know you just sat down, but I'm going to have you stand as we read God's word this morning. Matthew 18, we're going to begin in verse 21, and running up to where we're about to be, Jesus is teaching, and he just deals in the previous like seven verses uh, if you look in your, in your scripture, the 15 through 20, it says dealing with sin in the church. And so Jesus is teaching if there's, if there's someone that's causing sin in the church and dis dissension and, and how to deal with it. And when you get more people involved and the accountability of holding people account. And, and so he, he delivers this message on sin and forgiveness and all of this. And then Peter gives this question in verse 21, and this is where we're going to pick up. Then Peter, one of Jesus' disciples, right, came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times should I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Peter thought he was noble. Jesus answered, I tell you not seven times, but 77 times. Some translations may 70 times seven. Either way, it doesn't matter. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king. So Jesus tells a story, as he often does, right, to make his point. Jesus tells a story, a parable. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold, 10,000 talents, was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I'll pay back everything. 
the servant's master took pity on him. He forgave him and canceled the debt and let him go. But when that servant went out, that servant found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins, significantly less. He grabbed him and he began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I'll pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and he had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master, the king, everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in, you wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. And verse 35, this is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. This is the word of the Lord. You can be seated this morning. We're going to spend the rest of our time trying to unpack this uh, and trying to get our hands around it and let it get itself in us. And so Jesus tells this story. He tells this parable in response to Peter's noble sounding question. Peter wanted to, to seem noble. This is one of Peter's characteristics. Um, he, he, he poses this question, should I forgive my brother for sinning against me seven times? You say, well, how does that sound noble? Because in Judaism, in their culture, in their religious uh, framework, it, they only required forgiveness of the same person for the same offense at least three times. So Peter's question, he's saying, I'll double that and add one. Peter was suggesting taking it the extra mile when it comes to forgiving others. So how about seven times, Jesus? Do you ever do that? I've done that before. Try to calculate your obedience or your, your level of godliness as to measure it out in some way. One commentator wrote this in relationships, said, to place limits means that forgiveness has become a bargaining chip in the relationship rather than an act of grace. So you'll see here that there is no limit, according to Jesus' answer, to, to the amount of times Jesus calls us to forgive others. 77 times, Jesus says. That's just another way to say unlimited. Jesus answers unexpectedly to those who are listening. He takes seven times to unlimited, saying we're to forgive the repentant an unlimited number of times. So in Jesus' reply, he quickly does away with all calculations. And so he begins to tell the storable and this, the, the, the parable, the story, the storable. That's a new word, right? The story parable. Um, he, 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 and this man is brought before the king. And it says in verse 24, he began the settlement. And a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold, 10,000 talents was brought to him. Now listen, the word here in the Greek for 10,000 is my rioi. I don't even know if I'm saying it right. But literally the word just means countless. Countless talents. And the talaton, that's the Greek word for talent, was not even a coin, but a unit of monetary reckoning valued at approximately 75 pounds or 6,000 denarii. Today's equivalent would be up to two and a half billion dollars that this man owed the king. The man in the parable owed the king over 150,000 years of wages. Not $150,000, 150,000 years worth of his wages. An unthinkable amount, right? The hyperbole in the parable is dramatic, and that's the point that Jesus is making. So, uh, of course, the servant can't pay it back, and he says, uh, throw the man's family in prison, we'll sell him, and we'll try to get whatever money we can 
And the man responds in verse 26. It says, at this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I'll pay back everything. The promise of the servant makes absolutely no sense. He says, just be patient, and I'll pay you back. And so he responds to the king as if all he needs is patience to pay back a debt of 150,000 years worth of a day laborer's wages. Now, the disciples listening to Jesus would have thought this was humorous as we look into the story and say, how ridiculous is that, that he's begging for patience? Charles Spurgeon said, many a poor sinner is very rich in resolutions. This servant debtor thought he only needed patience, but indeed he needed forgiveness. And so he begs for patience. He says, have mercy on me. And the servant's master, in verse 27, the servant's master took pity on him. He showed him compassion, and he canceled the debt and let him go. How rich a king he must have been to cancel such a large debt. But then that servant goes out, and he he finds one of his servants who owed him 100 silver coins, 100 denarii. And what would that be equivalent to? That would have been equivalent to 100 days' wages, three months' worth of wages, compared to 150,000 years' worth, an unspeakable amount. And he grabs him and he begins to choke him, and he says, you pay me back what you owe me. And his servant falls to the ground and begs him, be patient with me and I'll pay it back. It sounds familiar, doesn't it? And so the man who owes the smaller debt used the exact same plea and promise that brought mercy to the man who had the greater debt, but his plea gained nothing. And the forgiven servant puts the man into a debtor's prison. And there's, some, there's onlookers, there's people watching from the king's court. It says in verse 31, when the other servants saw what happened, they were outraged and they went and told their master everything that had happened. So they go and tell the master what happens. And if we're honest, sometimes we in our lives are painfully and often to our own embarrassment blind to our own sinful and fleshly behaviors. Until God, through the Holy Spirit, or someone around us calls it out. And so he brings the man back in and he says, you wicked servant. You wicked servant. How could you go out and respond in such a manner after I have forgiven you? So verse 35, Jesus, he brings the parable, the principle, the core meaning to its head. And he says, this is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. The man in this story refuses to forgive a debt of 100 days' wages, which would have caused every listener to agree with the king that this man was indeed wicked. And you and I look at the story and say, what a wicked dude. What a messed up dude. Perhaps they even, one commentator said, perhaps they even would have cheered that the man was thrown into prison. Now, though, Jesus is driving the point of the story home. He's saying, my Father in heaven, Father God, will also imprison every person who does not forgive his brother or sister from the heart. You see, the reality is that God expects those whom he forgives to forgive everyone who sins against them up to an amount they have been forgiven. And sometimes in our self-righteousness, we say, well, I've not been forgiven as much. I haven't done as much as so-and-so. Well, them, listen to their story. They've been forgiven much. They're going to have more to forgive, But if we're honest today, nobody, nobody will ever sin against us anywhere near to the amount we've sinned against God. And so this includes all of us today. The word forgiveness is often synonymous with this idea of mercy and grace, right? The title of the parable is the unmerciful servant. 
And I found this because uh, sometimes it's hard to describe the difference. And, and here it is. Mercy is not giving to a person what he or she deserves. Mercy is not exacting the justice that you would be due in giving to a person. And grace is instead giving to a person what he or she does not deserve. That's how, and they're, they're so tightly woven together. And so this takes us to a a central principle of the kind of kingdom, the kingdom of God that Jesus has inaugurated, that Jesus has brought forth in his arrival. And the call is that a person who's truly experienced the mercy and grace of God by responding to the presence of this kingdom will be transformed into Jesus' disciple, which at the most fundamental level, at the foundational level, means experiencing a transformed heart. And such transformation will be evident in the words and actions of a disciple's life. Is that evident in your life today? And on the contrary, a person who has not truly experienced God's grace, not truly experienced his mercy, will not experience his forgiveness. He will, she will, be like the first servant, accepting the personal benefits of the king, but it will only be superficial. It will not penetrate a hard and wicked heart to produce transformation. That's our mission And such a person will thus experience eternal condemnation unless they repent. And as I was pondering this message, I was preparing, do you know what what came to mind? Do you know what hinders us, I believe, from freely forgiving others at the root of it, from freely offering this forgiveness? It's pride. It's pride, which is sin, according to the scriptures. And I heard it once said that pride is at the root of all sin. But it's pride. It's, It's holding on to what we believe is just. And you know what God's word says in Proverbs? It says that God opposes the proud. God opposes the proud. And I don't know about you, but if, if, if there's one being in existence that I do not want to be in my opposition, it is the king of the universe. But the rest of that verse says, but, but he gives grace to the humble. We must humble ourselves to be able to forgive as we are being called to forgive. You see, Jesus' disciples must be forgiving to others Because through God's grace and mercy, we have experienced his forgiveness. And Jesus, he he makes the command stronger here in verse 35 when he finishes, from your heart. This, you must forgive your brother and sister from your heart, not just in your words, not just lip service. Charles Spurgeon said, if we forgive in words only, but not from our hearts, we remain under the same condemnation. So we forgive from our hearts, and it's really simple math. But what's going on here? Forgive and be forgiven. And so we choose with our own behavior whether we will be forgiven of our own debts, our own sin debts, or not. You want to see what I'm talking about? Back up a little further in Matthew. Back to Matthew chapter six. Earlier, Jesus is teaching his disciples to pray, and and he's teaching them this prayer. We call it the Lord's Prayer. And it's not really about a formality, a form to pray. It's really about an attitude. This should be the attitude of your heart when you come before your heavenly Father in prayer. And if you look at verse twelve here, this is the middle of the the prayer, and it says, "And forgive us to pray unto God. Forgive us our debts, as we have also forgiven our debtors." And 12 chapters later, he's going to tell a parable about this, which we just read. And then Jesus finishes teaching them this attitude, this posture of prayer. And then he reiterates what he says about forgiveness in verses 14 and 15. Look at this. For if you forgive other people, Jesus speaking, when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. You see, forgiveness 
is required for those who have been forgiven. We're not given the luxury of holding on to bitterness towards other people in our hearts. We're not given permission. John Stott, author, pastor, uh, he, he, he said this. He said, once our eyes have been opened to see the enormity of our offense against God, the injuries which others have done to us appear by comparison extremely trifling. If, on the other hand, we've exaggerated view of the offenses of others, it proves that we've minimized our own. And I say it this way. We tend to judge others by their worst actions and judge ourselves by our best intentions. I've been guilty of it. For if you forgive other people, Jesus said, when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not, your heavenly Father will not forgive your sins. Here, the emphasis of Jesus is on the imperative, the absolute necessity of forgiveness. It's on the fact that it is not an option for those who go by the name of Christ. Jesus, Jesus does not mean, listen, listen to what I'm not saying. Jesus does not mean that forgiving others is a condition for salvation, but that forgiveness is the expected condition of those who have been saved. And maybe, maybe if you're honest, you would identify with our friend Calvin from the beginning of the sermon, right? You're pondering this truth for a moment today, and your reply in your heart is, I keep hoping there's a less obvious solution. But according to the word of God, there's not. And maybe you're asking today, does this, does this mean that those who refuse to forgive others can still be saved? Ultimately, that's the wrong question today. You see, God's intent is for all true Christians, his disciples, those who have been born again, those who have been forgiven by the death of Jesus uh, for their offenses, their sins against God. God's intent for all of those would be to turn and freely forgive anyone who has wronged them, anyone who's wronged you and I. In other words, this verse speaks to the evidence of our salvation, not a requirement for salvation itself. And so that likewise, the contrary may say this, if unforgiveness holds us captive, it's almost certain evidence we've not let the power of God's grace in Christ Jesus have its way fully in our own hearts. Whether that's unforgiveness towards ourselves or towards other people in our lives. And I want to reiterate, this is not because forgiveness is a precondition of our salvation, but because forgiveness is a symptom, maybe that's a better word, of those who have been truly saved. And Jesus drives the point home that unforgiveness is inherently contradictory to godliness. And so the bottom line today, the bottom line today is this, that forgiveness is an action that you must choose rather than a feeling you've got to create. All right, I, forgiveness is a choice, not some kind of feeling that you have to create in your heart. Two relationships depend on forgiveness, yours with God and others with you. And until you find a person with whom to be in relationship who has no flaw, Forgiveness will need to be one constant in every single one of our relationships. And as we've seen in the parable, God really places no limits on his command to forgive. 
on his command to his children to be people of forgiveness. Uh, uh, listen, I, I got a story. I found a story here, and it's from World War II, from uh, the Holocaust. And there was a, a woman by the name of Corrie Ten Boom who survived. Her family helped rescue many Jews in Holland. Eventually, they were found out. They were caught, and they were sent to a concentration camp. And I've always been fascinated with the Holocaust and World War II and just how all of this actually happened. How did it even come to be? But anyway, this story is about Corrie Ten Boom's testimony, and it says this. Someone's writing. It says, after the defeat of Hitler's Nazi regime in World War II, Holocaust survivor and Christian Corrie Ten Boom returned to Germany to declare the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. One evening, after giving her message, she was approached by a man who identified himself as a former Nazi guard from the concentration camp at Ravensbrück, where she had been held and where her sister Betsy had died. When Corey saw the man's face, she recognized him as one of the most cruel and vindictive guards from the camp. He reached out his hand and he said to her after the message, A fine message, Fraulein, the young lady. How good it is to know that as you say, all our sins are at the bottom of the sea. You mentioned Ravensbrook in your talk. I was a guard there. But I would like to hear it from your lips as well, Fraulein. Will you forgive me? About this encounter, Corey writes, I stood there, I whose sins had again and again been forgiven, and I could not forgive. Betsy had died in that place. Could he erase her slow, terrible death simply for the asking? It could have been many seconds that he stood there, hand held out, but to me it seemed as hours as I wrestled with the most difficult thing I ever had to do. I had to do it. I knew that. The message that God forgives us has a prior condition, that we forgive those who have injured us. But forgiveness is not an emotion. Listen to what she says. Forgiveness is not an emotion. I knew that too. Forgiveness is an act of the will. And the will can function regardless of the temperature of your heart. Jesus, help me, I prayed silently. As she reached out her hand to the former guard, Corey says that something incredible took place. She continues, the current started in my shoulder and it raced down my arm, sprang into our joined hands, and then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother, I cried with all my heart. I had never known love so intensely as I did then, but even then, it's not even my story. <laughs> I'm emotional. But even then, I realized it was not my love. It was the power of the Holy Spirit. You want a modern day example of this in action? I'm going to show a video here in a moment. It's uh, a lady speaking, her and her husband have a little boy, and, and they were in Libya, and uh, he was a teacher in Libya, and, and they were there. That was his way in, and he taught the Libyan people, but he, he, they were there to share the love of Jesus. And one morning, he went out for a jog, and a black jeep pulls up and just shoots him, shoots him dead. And this is her interview on CNN, uh, and, and it's remarkable. Take a look. What I want people to know about him, what he wants to know about him is really, it's not about what Ronnie did. It's what Ronnie wanted to show to the Libyan people, and that's he wanted to shine the light and the love of Jesus to the Libyan people that he knew. He really did. He didn't want any attention onto himself about being a good guy or a good teacher or the fun teacher. It was just about the love and the forgiveness that we know from God. And I've heard... That's what he wants to leave behind. And I've heard you say that, I mean, you wrote a letter in part to, to the people who killed him saying that you love them and that you forgive them. That's an extraordinary thing. I do. I, 
I honestly do not have any anger towards them, and I want them to know this. I don't have, I don't want any revenge. Um, I just really want them to know that I do love them, and I forgive them, and Ronnie would want this. Um, I pray and hope that our son Hosea will believe this, and I pray with all my heart that the attackers, that maybe this incident will call them to know the love and the forgiveness that's found in Jesus. I really do. Is that something you were able to feel right away? I mean, it's only been a, a few weeks. Sometimes, you know, people may get to that stage mm -hmm. months or years later, but to feel that so soon, I think, mm -hmm. is going to surprise a lot of people. The first day of the incident, I wasn't even thinking in regards, any emotions in regards to the attackers, but it came really soon. It came within that evening or the second day. Um, it's got to be God's spirit pouring into me, replacing that anger with his love. Um, yeah, they took away my husband, and I love my husband, but it's got to be God's spirit that's pushing me to show them that this is what, this is what God wants them to see. He wants them to see that love and forgiveness is real, even if they've done this to my husband, and I want them to see this and to know this. And you really feel that in your heart. You don't feel... You don't feel anger. You don't feel feel hatred toward them. I mean, I, I, I'm sorry I keep bringing this up, but I think just it's an extraordinary thing to yeah. to, to be able to feel that. Um, I just envision the black jeep driving up to him, and I don't know their faces. I just want them to know that God loves them and can forgive them for this. And I don't know them, but my, I just, yeah, that's how I honestly feel. It may sound crazy, but and it's, it's God's spirit that's putting this inside of me. Yeah. It, it doesn't sound crazy. It sounds and I believe it. like you're a remarkable person to, to feel this. Do, do you, what will you tell your child when your child grows up about, about what, your, what your husband was doing there, about what, what, what their father was doing there? We want Hosea, our son, to know that we love him so much, and Ronnie loved him so much. And what Ronnie and I would want as parents for Hosea is that God loves him more, and God wants him to know, just as Ronnie and I want him to know, that there's no greater thing to live your life for than to live for Jesus. And Ronnie didn't waste his life. And so that's what Ronnie and I want Hosea to see. You know, one other thing that caught me when I watched this, and this was nine years ago, this wasn't, um, is Anderson Cooper cannot grasp. Do you see that? He even apologizes later. He says, sorry, I keep bringing this up. He can't grasp the lavish forgiveness this woman is choosing to extend because of the love of Jesus. It, it, his human mind can't, can't wrap around it. And the word of God tells us that, that the message of the cross is, is foolishness to those who are perishing but to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. And so while it appears unbelievable in, in our world, I believe there's, within all of humanity, as we're created as image bearers, there's this desire for this level of unforgiveness. But if we're honest, forgiving like Christ, like, like Corey and like Anita here, that forgiving like Christ has forgiven you and forgiven me is impossible by our own human understanding and nature. They both attest to the same thing. But it should be a reality for those who are being transformed by the power of, what did they reference? God's Holy Spirit. 
those who are walking in the way of Jesus as his disciple. And listen, friends and family, even if we're not perfect, we can demonstrate our willingness to obey. And you see, sometimes, as we heard in Corey's story even, sometimes our outward action, our outward posture must move first to then reorient the posture of our hearts. And posturing our hearts in humility before God is at the root of all righteousness. We can live daily with an understanding that God has forgiven you and I for far more than we will ever need to forgive in others. And so maybe today you're struggling to forgive someone. Maybe God's pressed someone on your heart, the Holy Spirit's pressed someone, and there's someone in the back of your mind. You know there's unforgiveness. Maybe you're struggling to forgive someone. I ask you today to pray, to ask the Lord to help you, and then pray for them. And to remember To pray and remember, remember how much God has forgiven you because this frees us to forgive others. Pray and remember and seek. Seek to do them good if it's within your power, but refrain from gossiping or using any position that you have over them. And then finally, know. Know that the Lord can bring good from this terrible situation. We sang it, right? You use what the enemy meant for evil and you turn it for good. So know the Lord can bring good, even if they haven't asked for forgiveness, even if they haven't repented. Now listen, forgiveness doesn't mean this. Forgiveness doesn't mean this. This is by N.T. Wright in his book, Evil and the Justice of God. Forgiveness doesn't mean I didn't really mind it or it didn't really matter. I did mind it and it did matter. Otherwise, there wouldn't be anything to forgive at all. Nor is forgiveness the same as saying, well, let's pretend it really didn't happen. You see, this is a little trickier because part of the point of forgiveness is that I'm committing myself to work towards the point where I can behave as if it hadn't happened. But it did happen, and forgiveness isn't pretending that it didn't. Forgiveness is looking hard at the fact that it did and making a conscious choice, a decision of the moral will to set aside so that it doesn't come as a barrier between us, between us and God and us and others. And it's also important, as we move this morning to close, it's also important to understand that a distinction can and should be made between forgiveness and reconciliation. You see, true reconciliation of a relationship can only happen when both parties are agreeable to it. And this may require repentance on one or both parties in the conflict. And sometimes both parties aren't agreeable. Yet forgiveness can be one-sided. And it is commanded of us as God's children. But maybe perhaps, perhaps the greatest challenge for some of you today is simply believing the gospel. And when I say believe, I mean to accept it as true, to be convinced by it, to have confidence in it and faith and trust that the gospel is true and it's as good as it says it is. One lady wrote, while forgiving others is difficult, we can also struggle with being forgiven. It took me a long time as a Christian to accept that God had completely forgiven me. So for some of us, Maybe that's where you find yourself today. What is this gospel? In Romans 3, Paul says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Not some, not those who who are really bad and have done certain things. It says all, all have sinned and fall short of God's glory. And he continues in Romans 5 and verse 6. He says, you see, at just the right time, while we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might dare to die. In verse 8, but God demonstrates his love for us in this. 
while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners, while our, while our hearts were still full of pride and sin and deceit, and we were, had our backs towards God, he died for us. In Romans 6, he continues, he says, And for the wages, in verse 23, for the wages of sin is death. Do you see that our sin has incurred a debt? It's incurred a debt, a wage, right? We talked about this in the parable. Our sin has incurred a debt, a sin debt. And it's 150,000 years worth of wages that you and I can never pay. No matter how patient God would show himself to be. We can't pay the debt. But the debt must be paid. Peter Crift in his book, Back to Virtue, said, Mercy goes beyond justice. It does not undercut it. If I forgive you the $100 debt you owe me, that means I must use $100 of my own money to pay my creditors. I cannot really make you $100 richer without making myself $100 poorer. And if the debt is objectively real, it must be paid. And if it's my mercy that repays your debt, then I must pay it. That's the reason why Christ had to die. Why God could not simply say, forget it. Instead, he said, forgive it, and meant that if we did not pay our debt, then he had himself. For the wages of sin is death, but the second half of that verse says, the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. He's saying, I'm a rich king, and you had a debt that was unpayable, but I paid it. With the blood of my son, I paid it. And so as Mandy comes this morning, as we prepare to respond to God's word, are you living out in your relationships what you claim to believe? That's my question this morning. Are you living out in your relationships what you claim to believe is true this morning? Or maybe this works better. Does your practice line up with your preaching? My wife sent me this quote. Uh, she showed it to me last week, and it says this. It says, the devil doesn't care if you go to church or read your Bible as long as you don't apply it to your life. You know why? Because you can do both of those things and still be proud or bitter or divisive or full of hate or broken or full of unforgiveness or at worst, unforgiven yourself. But you see, we're in a season we call Lent. These 40 days before Easter, and right, we celebrate Easter. This is what we celebrate at Easter, the good news, the gospel. And so these 40 days leading up to Easter, not counting the days of worship, we call it Lent. And it's really this season in our Christian faith that is focused on repentance and being sorrowful for our sin and forgiveness and prayer. And so what a beautiful time to respond and I got to be honest with you this morning, and I know I've gone over my time. I got to be honest, in the last week or two, about two weeks ago, we were in a staff meeting. And, and sometimes during our staff meetings, we have times of prayer. And, and the Holy Spirit brought to my mind and heart the reality that I was harboring a measure of unforgiveness and bitterness in my own heart. And you know what I did? I rationalized it away. You ever done that? I said, yeah, and I'm kind of praying and talking to myself. I said, yeah, I know, God. I, sometimes I don't have the right attitude but surely I've actually forgiven them. And so I kind of just suppressed it. And then as I began to work on this sermon this past week, uh, the Holy Spirit pressed on me again, this conviction, and, and it made me, it broke me, and it moved me to truly face the unforgiveness in my own heart and either respond obediently 
or to stand before you today as a hypocrite. And there's so many. There's so many of you who, who may be withholding forgiveness from others for, for reasons that you feel entirely justified in doing so. But today, my invitation, my call to you today, today is the day to simply choose to obey God and not your feelings. The word says this in Colossians, bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, Forgive as the Lord forgave you. How lavishly is that? Would you stand with me as we prepare to respond this morning? Just stand uh, all heads bowed, eyes closed, no distractions. It may feel uncomfortable, but I'm not worried about that. And so we're going to worship here in a minute. We're going to have a closing song, and it's going to be what we just sang. Oh, come to the altar. The Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of Christ. And sometimes we got to change our posture, right? Sometimes we got to change our posture to reorient the posture of our hearts. So some of you today, some of you may need to respond this morning to the gospel and say, God, I, I believe it in all its fullness. I receive it by your grace. I receive your lavish forgiveness for my sin through the finished work of Jesus. I want to believe the gospel. I want to be able to forgive myself so I can forgive others. I want to receive your forgiveness. And some of you might respond this morning in repentance. And it requires humility, right? But God gives grace to the humble. Respond in repentance for the sin of unforgiveness in your own heart today towards someone that the Holy Spirit's pressed upon your mind. You need to respond and say, Lord, forgive me. I, I ask you to help me to choose to forgive. You know what? The devil hates this. He hates when we humble ourselves before God. And then as we leave this place today, some of us, some of us are going to need to pick up the phone and make a phone call. Or a text, if that's more appropriate, and ask someone to forgive us. And listen, some situations this is not appropriate. And forgiveness will have to be one-sided. It'll have to occur between you and the Lord. But if it's appropriate, be specific, be sincere. And listen, if there's someone in your life who has at some point sought out forgiveness for you, for some injury, for some sin, and you've never given it, you've never offered forgiveness, you've been holding on to this, then perhaps you need to ask them today, if, it, if it's appropriate, to forgive you for taking so long to forgive them. And so before we sing, I want to offer the chance to, to respond, to, to change our posture. We're going to sing, oh, come to the altar. But if you find yourself in this place today, all heads bowed, all eyes closed, would you just, would you come up here? Would you stand in front of this front row? This will be our altar. You can kneel. You can stand in response if you feel so led. There's no pressure. It's just an invitation. It's just an invitation. And you can respond during the song. You can respond as we worship this morning but I'm going to pray Jesus, Jesus we thank you for your word today we thank you uh, for, for the truth of your word we thank you Lord for the gift of your spirit who actually enables us to live by your power the way that you've called us to live today 
God, we thank you for the gospel, for the good news that we had a sin debt that we could never pay no matter how patient you are. And you are so patient. But you canceled that debt. But it was costly because it cost the blood of your son. So help us to be people, Lord, who have been forgiven of so much to be people of lavish forgiveness. And then people like Anderson Cooper, people will look into our lives and say, it's remarkable. I don't understand how that's possible. Lord, would you search our hearts this morning? Would you search our hearts this morning to see if there's any sin of unforgiveness? Lord, and would you lead us to repentance, to experience the life that you have for us in all of our relationships and especially in our relationship with you? Jesus, we pray it in your name. Thank you so much for listening today. You can email us at info at cotnaz.org for any questions about our church. When you're done listening today, please subscribe to this channel for updates and new episodes.